Welcome to Appalachian 1800. 1800 seconds, 30 minutes, one half hour of news and information on 90.5 WASU. My name is Clyde Cohen, and this week on App 1800, I had the chance to talk to Boone Native, as well as the writer and author of Root Lines, Kelsey Day. Hello, everyone. My name is Kelsey Day, and like I said, I am a poet and a novelist, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so jumping right in, what age did you discover your passion for writing? Yes, so I was about eight years old. It was second grade. I wanted to give a shout out to Miss Tyler at Harden Park Elementary because she actually changed the trajectory of my life um, with a prompt in writing class uh, that just kept me writing after my time in the classroom. It was one of those things where I had never been super interested in writing. I liked storytelling, but after getting that that one writing prompt, I just couldn't stop thinking about it and had to keep going back. I love that. That is so cool. I just love the idea of kind of a teacher kindling that flame within you for um, what you discover your passion will be like for the rest of your life. Do you remember what the um, what the prompt was? Yeah, it was so silly. Oh my gosh, it was okay. Um, it was like, okay, you are going outside to help your dad in the garden. You're digging in the dirt and all of a sudden your shovel hits metal and you brush away the dirt and it's a door. You open the door, what happens? <laughs> and that story, I'm so serious. <laughs> it changed because I was like, oh my God, well, what happened? And I just kept writing it when I got Yeah, home. no, I, I love that. That's such a good like ambiguous story to kind of like build Isn't whatever, it great? whatever you want out of it. Yeah, props to that teacher for, for choosing yeah, that. Yeah, Tyler. <laughs> do, you, um, do you still have your hands on the story? Like, have you looked back at it anytime recently? I, I, oh my God, I can actually send you. I have a PowerPoint of it. I think I went on that, you know, that paint app on computers where you can like draw with your mouse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was really into that when I was little. And so I like illustrated all of it. And it was, it was very, it was very intense, very exciting. <laughs> things that's got, so cool. Things got weird. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> no, that's the best. I feel like people are the most creative whenever they're little. No, definitely, because you have nothing holding you back. Like, it you're just not seeps right out of you. Anything. Exactly. <laughs> So has, um, I know that Root Lines is a collection of poems. Has poetry always been your go-to outlet, would you say? No. So I actually resist poetry for a really long time as a kid because I thought that it was stuffy. I think that that's actually still a stereotype that poetry gets that is not necessarily fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do think that there's a lot of elitism and sort of high academia, like, weirdness that surrounds sure. it pushes a lot of people away from a very important and wonderful and vulnerable art form but I definitely fell victim to that as a kid I was like I don't I don't mess with poetry I don't want it to have to rhyme yeah I um, know it's weird how like it's kind of gotten this highbrow like persona surrounded with it when I I don't know I personally think it's one of the most accessible um outlets of writing just because it's so it's vulnerable vulnerable perfect word yeah <laughs> yeah it really is that's like that's the biggest I think strength and the biggest like the thing that scares people the most about poetry every yeah. time I've gone into a classroom and tried to teach a poetry workshop that's like people are worried they, it's not that they don't understand poetry or they are actually bad at it it's that they're scared of being bad at it or they're scared of like 
you know, because it is so vulnerable. And if you put yourself out there and then people are like, ooh, you suck, <laughs> you're never going to do it again. So a couple, you know, people get burned and then they don't come back to it. And people, it, yeah, so it's hard, but it's so, so vulnerable and so important. Definitely. People probably also get scared that they are not going to like put themselves out there in the right way. Um, right. Even though that's kind of the opposite of poetry in general, you're supposed to just- There's no wrong way. Exactly. There's no rules. And that's what's beautiful about it. I feel like it's the easiest form of writing to kind of like break away from the rules. Definitely. And I mean, that's the whole point. <laughs> that's the whole point. And that's why it's, it's, I think I had to, I had to realize that because for so long you learn in elementary school and high school classes that there's specific forms you have to follow. And there's perhaps value in that, but I prefer a very free flowing, um, and sometimes even like subversive or like jolting um, versions of poetry that are more about capturing a feeling. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that stuff like that is just, you can really feel the, um, the poet through works that are that like Definitely. image inducing within your mind. Mm -hmm. So what year are you in college and what are you studying specifically? I am a senior. This is my last semester. I'm graduating early. And <laughs> I am studying creative writing as my major. And my minor is marketing to be practical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you always have to have the, the um, quote unquote uh, employable part of your, your major, I feel like. just to Right, kind of... like your communications one. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly why I'm doing that. <laughs> So what's the story behind writing root lines? I know that's the, that's the work of yours that's devoted to, to where you've grown up. Um, did you begin writing it, intending it to, to publish, intending to publish it from the start um, or did it kind of like organically form? The process with it was very organic because I didn't set out with the intention of necessarily writing a collection under a certain theme. I was doing a writing challenge with two of my good friends where we were trying to write a poem every day during the pandemic. Oh, and so cool. a lot of the poems that, yeah, a lot of poems that ended up in root lines have seeds in those original poems. And what I found myself doing since during the pandemic, I was spending so much time outside as a place of refuge and as a place of tension at the same time. I found myself returning to a lot of those images and trying to understand my sense of place, especially as somebody who grew up in the rural South in Appalachia mm -hmm. and then moved to the city and then was forced to move back for a little while. And like I had sort of resisted my, my place in Boone as a kid. I really sort of resented growing up in a small town for a while. Yeah. And then when I left, I um, I really, really missed it. And then I came back and I had to sort of reconcile these different versions of myself and understand what my relationship with the landscape was and what it meant to me. And a lot of those tensions resulted in the poems that are in the book. Okay, I find that fascinating. I So I'm from the opposite side of the state. I grew up in yeah. um, Topsail, North Carolina. Um, which is like, I don't know if you know where that is. It's right near Wilmington. On the beach? It's yeah. the beach, yeah. It's, it's not like Wrightsville, but um, it's like 30 minutes from Wilmington. I've been there, yeah. Oh, you've been, okay. Um, yeah, and kind of same thing. Like it 
it developed a um a love just for the earth itself because uh the beach and the ocean were such a big mm-hmm. part of my life growing up i mean i moved there when i was two so it was a humongous part of me and that's interesting that um like your relationship with the ocean shaped you so much because i've always sort of I like the ocean. I've always been rather wary of it. Like I've always been sort of nervous around oh, it. How so come? It's really do, you, do you know why, or has it just been kind of? Oh my god! I I mean, <laughs> I was talking about about this to my therapist recently. I think it's because <laughs> it's like it's uh it's very unpredictable. I like I like the woods because it feels like the ground is holding me and I'm holding the ground back and oh, I think yeah. that it's possible to have that experience in the water like feel held but I'm not sure that I can hold the water back it'll always sort of slip away and it's very like unstable comparatively I think plus oh my gosh just like fish there's something about fish <laughs> <laughs> there's something scary there's something to be said about the fact that there's just things in the ocean that they're just there and you can't like see do them anything about it they're just there <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. It, it freaks me out, but no, I, I do love it. I have so much respect for it. It's just different. I think that's so funny. I, um, and I, I can, I can completely, completely see that. It's funny to me. Cause I'm like, because I've lived there forever, I've become so desensitized to it, but that all makes perfect sense in my head, especially like feeling grounded to the, to the woods. I love the way you said that because you're, I mean, they, the woods are grounded literally <laughs> yeah literally grounded <laughs> I like that yeah no and I think I think it does just have to do with like knowing the area just like on a personal level like because I mean I saw several there was a black bear in my in my backyard this summer and I wasn't phased at all but if there was a shark <laughs> nearby I would pee my pants I would be so scared no and I yeah I would be terrified if there was a black bear in my yard I wouldn't know what to yeah. do. I'd freeze so and it would eat different. me no it wouldn't it wouldn't so was root lines devoted to boone initially or was that something that kind of happened um later on as you began writing the poems i wanted to write something about place and about um like appalachia and rural southern appalachia specifically but i didn't go into writing this collection with the intention of that necessarily happening it just did (laughs) and then when I found that that thread and that theme I sort of tuned into it and realized that a lot of this that I've been writing about all fell under this same sort of idea that I was working through which was my hometown and my roots so to speak (laughs) definitely I that's so cool what was the first poem that you began with um do you remember or is that Uh, kind of become a blur I think, uh, I think that it was a poem called May Appalachia. Oh, wait, no, there was a different one. There was a different one that I wrote called Theories. Oh, really? And that, I think that was the first one. May Appalachia is the first one I wrote, like, during the poetry challenge that I was doing with my friends. But I wrote Theories, actually, earlier. That one I wrote, um, I wrote sophomore year of college. So that okay. one, that's an older one. That's so cool that it um, you've pulled stuff from that far back to into this collection. That when when did you release um, Root Lines? I can't remember. It was it was May of last year. 
Okay. So, and which was cool because I, three years before that, I is when like in that same month is when I published um, my last poetry book when I was 18, the last four years. So it was in May again. Okay. Wow. That, that is really cool. What a crazy coincidence. Circular. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What does the writing process for you look like? Do you normally get an idea in your head and then just kind of drop it onto, onto the page? Um, For poetry? I guess just in general. Yeah, I mean, I think what it comes down to is that when I sit down to create something, mm-hmm. a lot of the time it's because I need to work through something. There's something, there's a knot of tension in me that needs to be sort of eased out and I need to tease out what is bothering me. Because sometimes I just sort of feel you know I'm going through something or I feel something and I don't really understand it and I think that there really is something to be said about trying to assign language to it and trying to like the way I've described it to people before is that I'm really interested in sort of I don't I don't think that poetry and language is ever enough to like get to the core of an experience but mm-hmm. you can sort of use associations to guide people to it. So if I have yeah. an experience or I have a feeling that I want to share, language, again, is never going to be quite enough to like fully make you feel what I'm feeling. And you mm-hmm. weren't, no matter how much I try, you weren't there with me when I was like in this exact moment. But I can take your hand and like guide you along the vein and sort of wait and hope that you hear the heartbeat, you know, which is which is different than saying that here is the heartbeat. I can sort yeah. of guide you. It's more so like a window into whatever you're going through or whatever you're trying to pull from for um, a project that you're working on. Exactly. And so when I sit down to write something, usually it's because like there's some sort of experience or emotion that I'm trying to capture and would love to share with other people. Yeah. And there's something beautiful about that, like ambiguity as well, in my opinion. I just think it's cool that whoever's reading um, whatever you've created can kind of form their own sort of personal connection to it. I um, I read my senior year of high school, uh, The Lord of the Flies in my AP literature yeah. class. It was for like a project where, where you read a classic that you didn't have to read like your freshman year of high school that people normally do. Mm-hmm. And there was something that um, we looked at where like the author was talking about people bringing up all these theories about the Lord of, of the Flies and that he was like, does it really matter what, what it's actually about? The fact that you've thought of, thought this is what it's about is what matters the most. And I just think that's so cool. I completely <laughs> agree. I think that's where 70% of the poetry experience comes from. I think that you know there's there's we put the words on paper but I really genuinely believe that it's the readers and the discussions that rise from it and it's like it's a relationship it's a conversation it is yeah putting words on paper is only part of that no definitely I don't it it also I'm sure you can relate it makes you whenever you find someone who really inspires you in the writing world it makes you want to meet them that much more so you can actually like talk to them about it (laughs) exactly so I know that you are um, an environmentalist as well, because you had mentioned that previously, and Boone is definitely the perfect place to grow up and, and develop that passion for nature. Do you remember specifically when that love began? Yeah, so I grew up with woods in my backyard, pretty much. And I remember spending a lot of time with my neighbor, 
just sort of running around <laughs> in the woods, jumping on logs, you know, throwing rocks around. And I, I sort of, that was something I really imprinted on early, early in my life was um, this feeling of connection. I used to talk to trees, used to think that trees could talk to me, got very excited <laughs> about animals, would like, I would do this thing where I would like lay in the dirt and then I would wait and I would hear my own heartbeat, but I would pretend that I was actually hearing like the earth's heartbeat. I was just very like, I just love You just developed outside. a humongous connection with it. Yeah. I did. Yeah. When I was really <laughs> little. And I think that a lot of kids do that too. Like yeah. I think that that's a very common experience for people who have access to the outdoors growing up. And I know that that definitely had a huge impact on me. It's scary that, um, I don't know, having access to the outdoors is becoming less and less available for more and more people because right. I think it really, I don't know, it, it, those who it has shaped, it has just like moved mountains for them. Um, and I, I feel like everyone should be able to have that experience. Yeah, I think that that's been a really, uh, that's been a really important tension that I tried to work through in this collection too, was the fact of climate change and of, mm -hmm settler colonialism on this landscape that I call home even yeah. though it's stolen <laughs> you know like this isn't my home this is stolen land but at the same time having this really deep love and at the same time having to sort of reconcile love with complicity and understanding how all of that works together and pushes against itself and part of my uh, the way that I grappled with that was in uh, I don't know. I don't know if you read up on this before talking to me, but all of the profits from the book go to the Indigenous Environmental Network, which oh, is, I didn't know that. No. Yeah, so it's a, it's an Indigenous group that uh, fights for environmental justice. So I think that uh, has helped me sort of like understand my position when I'm trying to do with this book and feel like I'm putting my money where my mouth is. So that's yeah. something at least. I really respect that you did that. I I had no idea, and I definitely look up to you in that aspect. Thank you. So what was your first major writing project? Uh, it had to be it had to be the one where I was 11. So yes, when I was when I was 11, I wrote a book and I published it and it was called Pintus, Prince Pintus. And it's about a a young a young man, a young prince <laughs> who is tasked with saving his kingdom from a diabolical queen. And also, he has a pet owl. I feel like this is an important detail for everyone <laughs> listening to know. <laughs> he has a pet owl who lives on his shoulder. I was really, I had a really intense owl phase <laughs> as a Did kid. And so, yeah, <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about it. But <laughs> so that, was, that was my first big project. And that was the first book that was like sold in bookstores. So that was a really big deal for me. I love that, though. How did you go about getting it published? Did you know after it all came together that you that you wanted to do that? Yeah, so I don't know if you, do you know who Hugh Howie is by any chance? He's an author from there. I don't know if I do, no. Okay, so he wrote this sci-fi series called Wool, and now he's like a best-selling author, and he's super cool, and I stalk his Facebook from time to time. I'm like, wow, I knew you, but we both, we were both part of the um, creative writing club at the Watauga County Library. Okay. And he actually, when I was 10 or 11 was sort of my mentor um, and helped me figure out how to navigate uh, publishing my first book. And I self-published it. So I did it by myself, designed the whole book, distributed it myself. And he was there to sort of like help me do that, figure out how to do it. I remember this very specific moment where this is, this is so stupid, but I remember I was like, wait, so 
how I mean, how do you actually logistically self-publish a book? Do you yeah. just like show me? And he pulled it up on the screen and just scrolled to the bottom of the of the page and was like, you just click here. And then I clicked there and I did it. Wow. I didn't know that it just ended up being a button at the end of the process. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it when it comes down to it, I think that's that's something really neat about self-publishing. You can say what you want about obviously there are a lot of huge problems with Kindle independent publishing and Amazon I've heard publishing. A lot about that. I had a friend yeah. who um published a collection of poetry and she was telling us about how it's based on like reviews and stuff that aren't even really real like it or how, however much traffic it gets on Amazon so you can kind of create your own I don't know bestseller uh like tagline right. by just visiting your own page a lot or something yes, it's, it's weird it's it's a really weird thing and well and I think my bigger problem with it too is that it really screws over local bookstores to have a lot of um, local authors mm-hmm. publishing through Amazon because then in order to carry these local authors' books, the, the the bookstores have to order through Amazon. Amazon, it's like the big, the big, the big bad. Yeah, local the big bad wolf. Yeah, so I had to switch over to um, Ingram Spark and like small independent presses after that. But okay, that's, that's been my process. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's so interesting. Are you still in contact with that mentor? Have you talked to him recently? No, no, I haven't. Not since I was a kid. I think, honestly, he's just so busy doing his amazing uh, big boy writer thing, but I hope I get a chance to talk to him soon. No, that would be, yeah, I'm sure that'd be exciting if you were able to do that. I bet he'd be more than willing to. I'm sure, yeah, I should reach out after this. (laughs) (laughs) What does one begin with when they hope to publish a work like after writing it or just like step zero after after writing it um like where do you where do you go it do you just kind of immediately try and self-publish um yourself or do you kind of look for a, yeah. a publisher it depends on what you're hoping to get out of it how widely you want it to be received how much of it you want to do for yourself and how much creative control you want to have I, for my fiction projects, I have more flexibility with how, like, creative control, essentially, I care less in fiction, like, if I'm being influenced um, pretty strongly in one direction or another by editors, but with poetry, I'm much more specific, and a bit, uh, (laughs) which is why um, my first, my first publication was entirely, I was the one in control, and then for Root Lines, I had a whole team that was helping me with Wild Press, and they were all okay. very, very helpful. But it was definitely a little bit out of my comfort zone. And then, uh, but it was great. It was wonderful. But what I would say in terms, like, you need to sort of figure out what you want and how much control you want to have over the process. If you want yeah. to have complete control, I would recommend self-publishing, although I still think editors are very necessary and very yeah, important. Yeah, yeah. But if you want it to reach potentially a wider audience, and if you want, if you're okay with giving up some of that control, then I would suggest querying and finding a literary agent and going from there. Okay. It makes sense that um, with poetry, you're a lot more specific about how you want it, just because it's a much more, I don't, there's a, there's trajectory with like every word and every poem. It's a lot more of a precise yeah. art form, I think, than like prose, for example, where you're creating this 
larger narrative. Um, Definitely. Well, and with the last four years too, it was especially important that I had complete creative control because it really was a sort of time capsule of my high school experience. And so I wanted complete agency over it. I completely understand. So you, I also know that Rootlines, you've said has become a required text at App State. What's the story behind that? (laughs) It's so funny, actually. So, um, so so Carrie Curley, who's a teacher of, I think, Appalachian Studies at mm-hmm. App State, I, at the time that I met him, I was working at, do you know Noble Kava, the Kava bar? I do, and, yeah. Yeah, so I was a bartender there for a summer. And I love that I was place. having the best. Big <laughs> shout out to them. They were a wonderful, wonderful community for me. I was working there, and we were also selling my book there. Uh, the last four years was being sold there at the time. And, oh. and um, the professor came in into the bar and we were sort of hanging out and talking you know everyone's friends there and then he was sort of looking at the book and then he was looking at me he was looking at the book and he was looking at me he's like wait is that you like did you, <laughs> is that did you write that and I was like yeah and he was like oh my god and so we sort of we hit it off at that point and started talking more about creative works and what it means to be an artist in Appalachia and from there sort of got to talking about his curriculum and then as that as that developed, we um, we we sort of went on from there. And now it's a required text. Rootlines is because it um, it really really fits very naturally into the curriculum, and it's about storytelling in Appalachia and being an artist and human. Yeah. <laughs> um, in this region in this time, so that's how that happened. Well, congratulations! Like that's such a Dang. awesome thing to say. I bet it. I bet it feels really special just since app has if i'm if i'm guessing correctly has been something that's been um kind of ingrained in your in your childhood um for a while definitely (laughs) yeah no 100 percent. so is it a required text for like all app students no i think it's just for these two classes okay two classes (laughs) it's for some classes that um that this professor is teaching okay well, I hope I um, am in one of those classes. If not, I'm still going to buy a copy of it and, <laughs> and read it myself. Well, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> um, I know you've also received acclaim from various sources. What do you think your greatest achievement overall has been? Mm, yeah, I think... Probably hard to pick something one, that... though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, oh, what is... No, um, <laughs> I think I... Honestly, this is sort of a cheesy answer, but after doing a couple readings um, back home in Boone mm-hmm. and talking to people who have read my work or read my books, I had a couple people come up to me and talk to me about my work helping them through a tough time or feeling like less alone because of uh, content that they read in my book or poems that they read in my book. I, I talk a lot about my experiences with OCD and derealization and other sort of mental um, struggles in my life and like how that affects me and how that affected me growing up. Oh yeah. Um, and and so I, it's really been meaningful to me having people talk to me about sort of like what we were talking about earlier with that po- like poetry as a conversation, mm-hmm. as a two-way street, as something that's happening with other people. And I think that like just those those conversations are definitely the most rewarding part of what I've done. I'm sure, yeah. Being able to relate to some of the hurdles that people are struggling with and hearing that that something you've created is assisting them in that, I can't even begin to imagine what that feels like. 
Well, it's just really special too, because I, growing up, I found a lot of refuge in poetry and in art when I was having a hard time. And so being able to give that back and be on the other side of the mirror and it's it's been, it's been really special. I'm so happy to hear that, that, that is just incredible. Thank you. (laughs) So are you working on anything at the moment? I'm working on lots of things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I can't talk too, too much about um, my big, I'm working on a fiction project right now. That's what I'll say about that right now. Um, but great things are in the works. I'm, I mentioned um, before we started recording, I mentioned a thesis project that I'm working on where I'm exploring the politics and artistic um, implications of deathly landscapes. So landscapes that are, um, toxic or have mm-hmm. become toxic through relations with humans and um, transcorporeality, you know, the dissolving of boundaries between body and earth. And so that's sort of where my poetic interest leans right now, okay. but I don't necessarily have like a solidified project where I know that that's going to end up right now. So I'll just say, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm sure you don't want to reveal everything either, but yeah. uh, I can't wait to see what's to come. Um, how do you go about studying um, with the Deathly Landscapes like project? What, what are some of your resources that you've used for that? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it for me is just experiential, going out and experiencing in real time the disastrous uh, effects of some of the infrastructure and um, sort of colonial settler technologies that exists in the land these landscapes so an example of that is I got involved um I did a I did a piece that's now published with the University of Chicago so I can send you a link to that if you'd like but I did a I piece on it, direct yeah. action protests yeah in West Virginia um with the Mountain Valley Pipeline which is a pipeline that is deeply unnecessary very destructive and mm. really destroying the lives of a lot of people in southern Appalachia and you know going out I went out and talked to those people and did a bunch of extensive interviews and did a bunch of research about what this um like how how the land and how the people are being affected by this this sort of technology um and then following sort of tracing this destruction from the abstract and the political into physical and personal terms understanding what my what my place in this is as a person who's been you know obviously I'm quite privileged in that I'm I'm white, but I'm also a queer, like a queer woman who grew up in the South. And so there's these sort of conflicting identities at play there. And yeah, sort of just, you know, what does it mean to like be in a place and then see, witness this sort of necropastoral zone in real yeah. time? And then how does that shift into, so a lot of it really is just experiential and drawing from my own personal um, resources, I guess. Yeah. And we were talking about this before, but I, I just really love the um, connection between environment and personality because there's not, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree there. Right. Well, it's all the same too. Like a lot of the, the questions that I've been seeking out and trying to find not answers in, but sort of like explore within is just this whole idea of separateness and the fact that humans aren't separate from nature, that nature is more just, a concept that humans have come up to to 
understand these perceived boundaries between land and humans and mm -hmm. as those lines blur and as we you know create toxic environments we're also creating toxic bodies and etc i could go off <laughs> for hours but um <laughs> yeah that's i just think it's really interesting and troubling very troubling very no yeah troubling to say the least <laughs> yeah yeah well, thank you so much, Kelsey. I'm glad we were able to talk about this. And I'm, I'm happy you were able to, to, to be here with us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And be sure to join us next Monday at 9 a.m. on 90.5 WASU, WASURadio.com, or download the app. Appalachian 1800. 1800 seconds, 30 minutes, one half hour of news and information.